Cornwall Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty. 12 sections, 1 designation. Hello and welcome to the Cornwall AMB podcast. Uh, Cornwall AMB is a partnership organisation and we've got about 20 partners. Um, one of those partners is Cornwall Council. Um, and as I'm sure listeners will be aware, the local authority is a large organisation, but we often collaborate with certain teams within the council. And one of those is the local nature recovery team. They're led by Pip Hoskin and the team works with a lot of different uh, strategies and projects. One of the projects that I wanted to um, introduce to our listeners, um, if you're not already aware, is the Local Nature Recovery Strategy. So in this week's podcast, we're talking to Dougie Hanford and Claire Parnell. Dougie is the Senior Environmental Officer leading on development and delivery of the Local Nature Recovery Strategy. Um, And the team are working um, continuously with farmers and land managers who are an integral part of delivering nature recovery. Claire Parnell is a board member and rural lead on the Cornwall and Isles of Scilly Local Enterprise Partnership. She's also the chair of the organisation's rural group. She has a background in agricultural economics and she's working in the agri-food sector. She farms in a family partnership in North Cornwall and she sits on our Cornwall A&B Farming in Protected Landscapes panel. Uh, I'm really thrilled to be able to have Claire and Dougie on the uh, the podcast with me this week. Um, So without further ado, uh, let's hear from them. Dougie and Claire, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd like to start off, um, Dougie, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the local nature recovery strategy, please? Of course, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Um, <laughs> so um, I think before we go on to the local nature recovery strategy, it's probably worth just reflecting on some of the state of nature uh, in Cornwall and in the UK at the moment, um, because we're seeing a range of different challenges um, across the environment from water and air quality, climate change, soil fertility and many others. But all of this is really typified by what is quite frankly a staggering decline in our biodiversity mm-hmm. over, over the last 50 years in particular. In the UK we are uh, generally um, viewed as one of the least biodiverse countries in the world. I think we're in the sort of bottom 12%. That's an amazing statistic actually, isn't it? It is, it yeah. really is. And unfortunately, the evidence we have is that Cornwall is sort of aligning with that national mm-hmm. trend. So we worked with the Wildlife Trust uh, a couple of years ago to produce something called the State of Nature Cornwall Report. Yep. And really that showed that over the last 50 years, we've been seeing some big local challenges. So mm-hmm. half of our breeding bird populations are in decline, half are terrestrial mammals, three-fifths of our butterfly populations. And that is relatively well aligned with what we're seeing across the rest of the country. Now, the UK government wants to um, halt species decline. Mm-hmm. And we want uh, the UK government has this ambition to be the first generation to leave the environment in a better state than we found it in. Um, And one of the core tools to achieving that is the local nature recovery strategy, which is the big project that me and the rest of the team are working on at the moment. Um, The strategy is essentially a tool that will help guide what we need to do locally to help restore nature. So that's where restoration needs to happen, Mm -hmm. how we can achieve it, and what we need to be prioritising. 
the strategy is essentially sort of a, a multi-use framework that when completed it will be used to help guide planning decisions improve protections on those areas that are already really important for nature and guide funding towards those projects and people who can help deliver action on the ground mm-hmm. our area covers hormone nails of silly and we'll be working with a range of people to help um pull it together but it's also worth mentioning that the strategy itself isn't just a hormone council initiative there are actually 48 strategies that are being created across the country and when completed they'll form a sort of national nature recovery network. Like a meta strategy. A meta strategy <laughs> of all these things pulled together yep. um, and that will really help um, coordinate locally mm-hmm. but also ensuring that we're pulling in the same direction nationally and that's what nature really needs because nature doesn't have the same borders that we do. How wet do you get your feet in this uh, nature recovery strategy or is it terrestrial only? So it, it actually covers um, all, all, all three of So it's terrestrial, <laughs> yeah. um, including sort of what we're doing on the land, but also mm-hmm. the river and catchment systems. Okay. But we're also extending it into our inshore waters. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what the rules and regulations say, it should be a terrestrial strategy. But us, as well as some other local, uh, so some other marine sort of based regions are yeah. extending into the sea. And I think for us, that's really important because our strategy covers Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly. Yeah. And if we weren't looking at what's happening in our in our sort of inshore waters, that, that connection between the two areas would... It's a big gap, isn't it? It's a huge gap, okay. yeah. So we are extending it into the oceans. Excellent. So like waist high or... Uh, a bit more than waist high. I think you'd probably need to get your, your wetsuit on. Okay, fine. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. And, and I guess for the... Well... All, all of those aspects actually farmers and land managers are integral to that which I, brings me over to Claire um, as a farmer um, how do you see nature recovery and, and what involvement has your, have you had with the nature recovery strategy I think um, thank you Rosie it's, um, it's an important part of what we do on the farm mm-hmm. um, but it has to work alongside our sort of key role of producing food and, and local sustainable food. Um, I mean, it's really what we've always done. Um, and I know it's a sort of cliche that gets rolled out, but I think farmers do see themselves as sort of custodians of the countryside yes. and of their farm. And, you know, it, it's a big part of that to sort of pass it on to the next generations in a good state and in good heart and we're not really going to be doing that unless we are looking after the whole ecosystem so sort of looking after um, those native animal and plant species looking after our fantastic thing in Cornwall of the the Cornish hedges Mm -hmm. and the sort of biodiversity and and the the role that they play um, looking after our soils and so forth so I think it's very much in our hearts as farmers to to do that and uh, I I find it really depressing you know about the state of nature report and I think alongside quite a lot of um, my neighbouring farmers and so on we find it difficult to gel that with what we see around us and the nature that we see on our own farms and 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 so on so i think it's that sort of balance of of understanding what actually is being done what the issues are Mm -hmm. and what we need to change as farmers to to improve things but also not to um 
disconnect with that food production. Yeah, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Absolutely, yeah. because I think, you know, the concern is if we put our house in order here mm-hmm. by reducing our food production, mm-hmm. we then sort of just offshore that food production to other countries who might actually and be doing it in um, a less environmentally friendly way, in a less animal welfare friendly way and with a higher carbon footprint. Absolutely. Um, so our local sustainable food production needs to be a key part of local nature recovery strategy. Brilliant. Thank you. And I suppose there's, I guess there's a challenge in that. And I was going to ask you, Dougie, you know, what are the main challenges you're seeing at the moment as you're kind of bringing this strategy together? But I think, Claire, you've highlighted probably one of the challenges there is how do you balance that food production with nature recovery? And is that something you're finding, well, both of you are finding really as you enter this process? Yeah, no, I think that's 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 really well explained, and and I think the key thing with with nature recovery is that nature doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about these sort of challenges, these these issues, we're talking about really systemic issues, and mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about how we use our land, how mm-hmm. we uh, purchase food, how we all engage with the land around us, and it's it's not just the farmers, although they are absolutely integral, and they really are those custodians of the land. It's it's about all of us, how we're engaging with nature and engaging with those systems that are contributing to some of those challenges. Um, And really that for us, I think, is the big challenge, trying to explore that system uh, of engagement with nature recovery and ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to to have their say and really get involved. Um, Because if you look at some of the, the people we're speaking to, the conversations we're having, we're speaking to the farming sector, we're speaking to developers, we're speaking to... Uh, landholders, we're speaking to mining companies, schools, hospitals, all these people have a major, major role to play in the solution. Mm -hmm. Um, So managing those conversations in a way that everyone has the opportunity to take part, um, but not just take part, but have those perspectives reflected in the final strategy, that is the big challenge, Mm -hmm. I think, for for us. Yeah, and I think it's it's making understanding that none of these are sort of either or decisions yeah um that we can you know if we manage this process well we can have it all you know it all can all work together absolutely and that's the key thing that i think you know the fear is what what is being asked now are we saying well we're going for environment now so we're doing away with this this and this yeah and that sort of economic development of food and side of it but actually no we don't have to we don't have to make those choices we just have to adapt a number of things and then make it a a, a better sort of whole ecosystem I completely agree. I think I think people see some of these major landscape scale style projects and think that that's the future of, of yeah. farming and nature recovery. And in some instances, land scale intervention will be appropriate. But it it goes back to that thing of we need we need everyone doing a little bit rather than one or two people doing things perfectly. And so it's those micro changes that yeah. exist within the way we use our land and our mm-hmm. seas that are really going to have the impact and sort of help redress some of those balance and challenges we're seeing. And it is there an educational um uh process that you'll be going to with, through uh, I guess both of you and and talking about nature recovery and the nature recovery strategy with people who perhaps are 
you know, sort of general public who are, you know, concerned, but don't really know what to do, how to do, how to do it, or even, you know, and I probably class myself as one of these people, really the, the detail, you know, we've talked about systemic change, that's it's quite a lot to understand. Is there more information for people on the website about what nature recovery is and how it is going to work? Or is this part of this strategic process? I mean, a- a- absolutely, yeah. That That's part of the conversation yeah. we want to have. I mean, it turns out that not everyone gets so excited about strategic frameworks <laughs> for nature recovery as I do. Um, who'd have thought it, right? Um, but yeah, absolutely. Within this process, mm-hmm. there's a real opportunity to be having a wider conversation about the role nature plays in our lives mm-hmm. and how we can all have an impact. And there are lots of resources that are available online at the moment through our local nature partnership website yep. and through our let's talk platform i'll um i'll share all of these at the end as well all the links um that you give me that'll be and i think it, it is you know it, it's a risk isn't it because it's it all sounds so daunting mm. that you yes, think oh definitely. i can't do anything um but actually as as dougie just said you know it, it's those everyone doing something it, it doesn't have to be this sort of major scale thing everybody can have an impact on this which is really positive isn't it because it, it is so complex and you would be forgiven for thinking blimey don't really know where to start so that's excellent um, so we've talked a little bit about the challenges and I guess the main challenge there, but I wanted to sort of understand a little bit more about the main milestones that you're setting that you've achieved so far and, and what you're working towards. Yeah, sure. So we're still quite early in the process. As mm-hmm. I say, this is sort of a, an ongoing conversation that we've been having and we're looking to really give space for those conversations to happen, to help inform what we're doing. So in terms of those milestones, we are really looking at the engagement at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we have um, been working towards lots of public engagement sessions, both yep. online and in person. And we've also launched a questionnaire uh, that's available on the Let's Talk platform. Lovely. Um, so that is closing on the 22nd of November, yeah. um, at which time we'll take all the responses that we've had from that uh, public engagement, analyse it, and then move into sort of a next phase of engagement, which is working with the experts, working with the farming community, working with developers mm-hmm. to take that evidence, rip it to pieces, pull out the real gems and use that to inform what those priorities for nature recovery are going to be. Um, and we're calling that sort of a, a bit of a priority refinement process once we've got this long list of, of yep. those priorities. Um, alongside that, uh, we are producing some maps. So one of the big outputs for the local nature recovery strategy will be publicly available maps of those areas that are termed uh, existing nature network. Okay. So that is the network of protected sites, mm-hmm. um, countryside, um, wildlife sites. Yep. Um, irreplaceable habitats um, and national and local nature reserves. Right, so. So that's uh, the existing nature network. We also have the opportunity network, which mm-hmm. is those sites that could be really important for nature with a bit more investment. And those maps will uh, sort of be across Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly and they'll be available online. Now, there's quite a bit of work that goes into that. So we're working closely with the University of Exeter and with um, some other sort of key biological and ecological experts Mm -hmm. to explore how we pull those maps together. And that's an ongoing process at the moment. 
In terms of other milestones to look for in the future, um, we are about to release a strategic survey for key organisations to feed back on sort of their strategies and policies for nature. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be releasing the full sort of draft strategy, uh, hopefully around summer next year for public consultation. Mm-hmm. And that will give everyone the opportunity to have a look at where our thinking is at the moment, make comments, and then we'll feed that into the final draft. After that, it will need to go through a full sort of Cornwall Council adoption process, right, which so. could take four to six months. Yeah. Um, but that's to ensure that we have the political scrutiny that we need to mm-hmm. really have faith in what, what we're producing. Who are the sort of people then you'd like to answer this questionnaire? Oh, everyone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not discriminated at all. Everyone's no, welcome. No, it, it, it goes down to that point about, I mean, the, 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 the tour aspect of this is everyone and anyone can have a role in helping shape nature mm-hmm. and should have a role in engaging in this process. There are obviously some key groups who may be more uh, affected by mm-hmm. the nature recovery strategy, may have more opportunities to engage and help deliver it. So yeah. our farming sector, for example, I think agriculture accounts for around 75% of land use in Cornwall now is a silly. So obviously that's a really key group for us yes. as well. Developers are really key groups for us. Mm-hmm. And some of those big land using companies, so the mining companies like mm-hmm. Emiris, for example, major, major players that we want to be speaking to. But we also want to be speaking to schools. We want mm-hmm. to be speaking to hospitals. We want to be speaking to golf courses, wedding venues, other forms of businesses that are using the land and could be having a role to say in how nature's forming. So so when we say everyone, we really do mean everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, Brilliant. And, yeah. <laughs> And you spoke about um, areas, so that sort of the nature network that's existing and then kind of opportunity areas. But I guess it's worth flagging that anyone can do positive things, can't they? They might not sort of pop up in your map as being like a, a an opportunity area, but anyone can do anything really, can't they, to, to support nature, even in their own back garden or window boxes, that sort of thing. Is, are you thinking along those, those lines as well with the strategy or is that too micro at the moment? I, I, absolutely. I mean, it, it goes back to that everyone and everyone can have a role of shaping mm-hmm. uh, nature recovery. Um, when we're building the local nature recovery strategy, really we're thinking about those strategic delivery spaces. Yes. But that's not to say that they're the only spaces. And it's also not to say that you need to wait for strategy to start working on nature mm-hmm. recovery. Um, if you have a project, if you have an idea, go do it. Um and those sorts of buffer zones, those window boxes, gardens, the little corners of a field that aren't being used to grow food at the moment, they can be vital, vital spaces to help uh, provide links and corridors for wildlife to uh, really grow and migrate. And uh, yeah, they're really, really vital. So mm-hmm. please, if, if you're here, listen to this and you've got an idea, do it. Dig a pond, plant some flowers, um, just go do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and Claire, I wanted to ask you um, what you've done on your farm in terms of nature recovery. And it's probably something you're doing already all the time. So it might be quite hard to pick out one thing. Yeah, I mean, the, we've sort of done things over the years mm-hmm. um, in, in sort of two chances, really. Just first of all, sort of things we just do. Yes. Because, you know, it's something that's important to us and we just do it. Planted, well, I've planted. Um, 
300 trees in the last wow. um, <laughs> two years. Um, which I thought, digging. Well, I thought that was a tough job, but actually then tried to keep them growing and keep oh, the weeds yeah. away from them. And actually it's been more of a, yeah. a challenge and, and, you know, and dry summers and so on. But but so lovely. You, may I ask, what have you used to mulch? Your, have you mulched your trees? I've heard that's very good for no, them. No, no, we haven't. And I think we, we've also, I've, I've sort of got this area and I've sort of tried to do wildflower meadows and so on mm-hmm. but actually I think I'm struggling with that because it's an area we used to have lots of sheep on right mm. and it's almost too fertile oh, and so just yeah. the grass just goes mad through it but so so that's my my challenge that's and my I also, challenge. also have a husband <laughs> who likes it to look neat which uh, is uh, it's very yeah. difficult so we we do quite a lot of, of that but we've also been involved in sort of countryside stewardship mm-hmm. schemes where we actually get sort of paid for providing what um, are sort of called public goods if mm-hmm. you like so rather than something that doesn't have a, a market value like potatoes or wheat or something that we can sell mm-hmm. but still costs us money to manage because nature does does need managing um, and so, so providing habitats for, for a number of um, different species and encouraging things and so on and one of the things we've done sort of off our own back which my nephew is right very been very into it for a lot of years is planting herbal lays instead oh. of just sort of single species grass mm-hmm. um, partly for the benefit they give to sort of biodiversity and, and improving our soils and so on but also for our own benefit because mm-hmm. a lot of those sort of mixed plants have very long roots um, which helps our soil structure mm-hmm. helps it to hold more water which is a benefit to everybody, um, but and also helps us in in droughts because yes. you know quite often those shorter rooting things suffer more from the drought and these long rooted plants help us through that. So a number of of different things and and I'm a bit of a uh, a sort of stuck record about soils <laughs> really because you know soils are everything mm. because um that sort of organic matter that maintains things and 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 keeps things moving the the water um, holding capacity of, mm-hmm. of more open soils, not compacted soils, which helps flooding, stops runoff, so on. You know that is the sort of crucial crucial bit of it, mm. and I think. We, we forget that those sort of growing crops, those grasses and herbal lays, also store and sequester huge amounts of carbon. So take carbon dioxide out of the air and store it in the soils. Yeah. And use of sort of clovers so that we fix our own nitrogen, if you like, mm-hmm. and, and make a, a more sort of self-sustaining thing so that we're not having to use so much artificial fertilisers and, and so forth. So it's just, again, keeping it all in good heart, really. And I guess that brings, does that bring costs down as well if you're not having to use so much? Yeah, yeah, yeah can do. And I think, you know, we've all been sort of guilty, you know, all, over the over the years, we've sort of all been encouraged, I suppose, mm. as farmers to produce more, yes, and more consistently. Mm-hmm. And the the way to be absolutely sure to be consistent is to put on all those artificial fertilizers and so on. Whereas now, I think we're sort of moving back to a situation and saying, well, how do we do that ourselves? Mm-hmm. It might be more risky because we're more weather dependent, particularly yes. with climate change. But you know, we we can 
do that, we can change things around. And, and there is quite a lot more support looking that way mm-hmm. and looking at how we graze land, how what crops we plant, what we do. So, From the work you've done, have there been any species that you've seen, uh, you feel that you've seen an increase, you know, if you haven't done any counting, but an increase in that have been, you know, particularly nice to, to see on farm? Well, a great sort of project for us has been... Um, through the countryside stewardship, we've planted what are called, rather strangely, called bumblebird mixes, which oh, right. are um, in just sort of small plots of the farm that we weren't really using well mm-hmm. um, to just feed birds and insects and, and and so on. And it's been really great to see the number of birds that have sort of come back through that. And that sort of linked quite well because of um, farming and wildlife advisory group FWAG which we're a member of um, did a sort of pilot project with 15 farms um, and they found um, volunteer bird watchers to come and do three um, surveys a year on these 15 farms and those are farms that probably don't have footpaths through them or so nobody actually sees what's going on there and it's fascinating and they've on those 15 farms over the last two years have been 98 they found 98 species of birds wow and I need to look this up because it also included um, some red lists and how many was it let me I did write it down because I knew I'd forget (laughs) Um, (laughs) sort of red list I think 98 species of bird 18 red list species and 31 on the amber list gosh that's amazing and that was just on these 15 farms that were just um, and it would be lovely to see that project go on because it was Mm. great to have that sort of support of these bird watchers Mm. who who were much better and much more better (laughs) on species than I (laughs) explaining to you what they were and through that and FWAG they were able to say, well, actually, if you did a little bit more there mm-hmm. and planted a few extra things here and you gave them that corner of the field, you would encourage more. Oh. And that's been really helpful as well. It's been really good. Oh, that's lovely. It's really so. nice when you get experts who can tell you about, spe- you know, bird species yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I like listening to them, but I can never, can't always pin down what they are. And by the time you've got <laughs> like your, like the phone out or your book out to try and identify them, they've, they've gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same as yeah. you. Um, although I, I, I did go over to Silly recently and I had the pleasure of going with the RSPB oh, wow. uh, a lot. And it was great just to sit in the background and, and yeah. listen to them really excitedly pointing in, yeah. uh, shouting out the names of the birds that they were seeing. And I, I think just in that trip alone, I learned so much. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, have a, I have a friend and, and you ask her, well, what birds are that over there? And she goes, it's an LBJ. And I say, what's that then? <laughs> a little brown job, because I don't know what it is. <laughs> just call it a little brown job. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's yeah. brilliant. And that's, I mean, that's an amazing amount of bird life, isn't it? Just on 15 farms doing something yeah. slightly, slightly differently, which is, like you said, was through Countryside Stewardship, the bumblebird yeah. mix. Oh, yeah. brilliant. So, yeah. But it's it, but it's all sort of linking together mm-hmm. because, um, you know, now we're getting sort of support from on this project and, and we're putting in more different things. And, you know, and it was sort of identified that actually there was a bit of a gap, a sort of hungry gap between December and April mm-hmm. on this species because we had to make sure every couple of years we have to cut it down so it doesn't get too dense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so the birds don't use it as much. And there's this hungry gap. So now we've FWAG have helped us get some funding to actually provide bird seed over that period because oh, having attracted oh, all the birds you don't then want yeah. them to go hungry no so you've got a responsibility to yeah, work exactly. with them now haven't you <laughs> look after them you're locked, in the so to speak. yeah so. <laughs> my mum has actually been busy feeding i think about 10 pigeons in her back garden now oh, which i don't brilliant. think was her original intention but now she's really responsible for them <laughs> well that's the thing you put it out there you've got to maintain yeah, it right I know. <laughs> absolutely um so i guess talking about doing things slightly differently brings me on to um, you sit on our farming in protected landscapes panel um, which is brilliant and I'm not so close to it but I know you know about some amazing projects from that farmers and land managers have brought forward Um, and I wonder what if you could tell me what sort of stood out for you, I suppose, yeah. on, as that I mean, has been running. What, what's so wonderful about the project, and I love being on this panel, because, um, you know, the, those farmers in those protected areas and just outside of them, it, it doesn't, isn't totally in those areas, um, just come up with these fabulous ideas. Mm. And, and we've been able to support so many different things. One of the projects we've worked with on the South Coast and in a couple of other areas has been um, to sort of help fund or give grants towards equipment so that, that those there's a large dairy and arable farm on the South Coast, moving them away from sort of conventional ploughing mm-hmm. um, to the sort of minimum tillage which holds all that sort of sequestered carbon into the soil and also sort of stops compaction and 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 so on and um it's been really interesting to see what they've done with that and it's because it's a sort of a faster way of getting crops in the ground than the plowing and harrowing and so on they've been able to plant more cover crops which has meant less bare land with with the risk of erosion and and runoff and so on it's improved the soil structure and the carbon release and and supported you know less erosion less carbon release less nutrient leaching and it's been a real showcase you know you you support one farm but Mm -hmm. actually Farmers being what they are, everyone comes and has a nose and sees how to do it. <laughs> so it's sort of encouraging other farmers to, to, to do the same. So that was sort of one of them. And then a whole range, we've supported the Cornish Seaweed Company, which has established a seaweed farm in their um, growing kelp. So they're um, definitely getting their feet wet. They're yeah. definitely yeah. getting their feet wet. <laughs> and then a tree nursery, because obviously there's a lot of tree planting going on and probably not enough nurseries growing those trees but because they're down here and they're growing from seed cuttings and graftings of Cornish trees they're producing trees that are actually used to this tough conditions and the salt and everything which Mm -hmm. therefore when they're planted grow better and so on Um, and then a meadow match project which has been really good which is sort of matchmaking um, wildflower meadows collecting the seed from that Mm -hmm. and using it on other areas that want to develop wildflower meadows, which has been great. Yeah. And that's ac- across the, the whole area. And we've supported um, an organization called Crest, which are running training events on um, managing Cornish hedges and rebuilding Cornish hedges. Mm-hmm. Um, there's already some brilliant um, hedge um, 
people that are developing the hedges. But, you know, this is a a little bit scaled back because it's more like farmers and people wanting to repair their own hedges and do things. And those hedges are such a unique habitat. And, you know, within those hedges, you have that sort of store of seeds that have been there for Mm. hundreds of years. Amazing, isn't it? you know, we need to make sure they're, they're all built up and so on. So that's been a really good one. Um, and as I was talking about the bird project, I mean, that um, FIPPLE, the Farming and Protected Landscape, has helped me with the seed to keep these birds fed over oh, this winter. And so so huge range. And it's just really down to people's imagination what projects they come up with. Yeah, there's no um, limit, really, is there? No just just your imagination. I think that's the really exciting bit about the about the the program, really. Yeah. Um, but those are some really great, yeah, really great but, examples. Um, I'm particularly thrilled by the bird bird seat, you know, the bird project. <laughs> I just think that's amazing, well, isn't it? I would, I would love someone to take that up and do more of this linking mm. um, bird watchers with farming and 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 farmers and so on. But uh, they're so knowledgeable. Some people, you know, some people who are really, you know, they're just amateurs, but are so into what they they you know yeah. they do. Yeah. They just know some amazing things. Don't and, they? and I think that's a, an example of what we were talking about. That actually, um, you know. Through that, we've just been told, well, if you just planted a little bit in that Mm. corner there, that would make a difference because they're there on our farm. And it's not a big deal, you know, and we can do that easily. We're not having to change our whole farming practice. We're just doing a little bit extra. There's those kind of conversations that are really hard, I guess, to get through a strategy, aren't yeah, they? Because well, you can't exactly. prescribe the that little odd bit in the corner because you, you, it's too no, difficult to do, isn't no, it? No, but, but it, um, it, it, it comes really back to that sort of systems thinking, giving space for these conversations mm-hmm. to happen. And, you know, the strategy is the strategy is the strategy. We'll, we'll publish it and hopefully it'll be good. <laughs> but I think the real value of it is going to be holding those conversations and, and just giving space for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask, and this is um, this is always a difficult one, I guess, uh, but perhaps not, what you would both like to see achieved in the next five years? And that could be sort of on, you know, on your own farm potentially or on other farms or the strategy, but sort of giving that kind of five-year five year look. Well, I suppose... Um, most importantly, stopping the decline yeah. and and seeing things thrive again and seeing those changes. Mm. And I think, you know, we, we all we can get quite fanatical about it. I mean, you know, we, you, you start seeing something and then you think, you, just because you've started and then you think, well, actually, what else could I do? And, you know, how would that work? And, and it's just seeing that sort of changed mindset, really. Mm. Uh, and also understanding, I think, which is a bit of a sort of plea to the farm for the farming industry, but understanding that we're not you know, we, we are often seen as, you know, the, the polluters, if you like. Mm-hmm. And actually, no, we're not. We, we Most of us want to do absolutely the right thing. And we have huge knowledge of our areas and just starting these conversations and just seeing how that moves forward. But um, I think, you know, it has been a bit difficult lately because it's, a, you know, it's like, you know, these terrible farmers are ruining things and so on. Mm. So I think it's, you know, it's helping us to do the right thing and, and 
you know, moving forward and, and so on. I would say of all the farmers I've met, you know, since working uh, for Cornwall A&B, every one of them has been looking, has been doing amazing things for, for nature and for the environment on their farm. I don't think I've met one that yeah. isn't or who isn't willing to go, oh, OK, is there a different way of doing yeah. something? And, um, yeah. you know, it's, we, it's we a bit of a shame. Really. We definitely need to change. And um, we need to be supported to do mm-hmm. that change. Yeah. Um, but, you know, basically we have our hearts, most of us have our hearts in the right place. <laughs> and I guess getting that feedback, sorry to keep coming back to that bird survey, but I'm really in it's having that feedback is really useful, isn't it? That, you know, that, yeah. that how many species have been spotted because it, it makes you, it gives you sort of that Absolutely. feedback that what you're doing has really worked. Absolutely. Um, even yeah. if you're not, don't know if you're just seeing a LBJ. LBJ, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about, but what about you? Oh, you know what? So initially, I was really pleased that Claire went first because I, I was still thinking, but now I'm a bit grumpy because because my my answer is very similar. It's mm. it's that deeper appreciation, I think, for some of the excellent work that's already happening. Yeah, and a move away from some of these binary conversations that, that that often happen within within the media but also sometimes mm-hmm. within the sort of industry and the political sphere itself about food versus nature mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and I think a more nuanced understanding of way that these two things can work together and should work together mm-hmm. is really important but if I could if I could really wave a magic wand and get something in the next five years for me, it's sort of rolling out that sort of FIPO format of, of mm-hmm. farm advice that's linked to funding. I think it's so powerful mm-hmm. taking a, a piece of land as it is and, and coming up collaboratively with a project that's going to have a real impact, mm-hmm. ensuring that there's the right advice and funding out there mm-hmm. and the freedom for the people who actually know about their lands, the farmers, to be making decisions and recommending, well, this is my piece of land. This is where I think I can have the most impact. Mm-hmm. That, link it into the ecological advice and come up with a project together. It's all about making these connections and doing the right thing for that piece of land at the time. Mm-hmm. And so if I could wave a magic wand, it would be a, a, a larger rolling out of, of that format for farm advice and funding. I think that would be so, so powerful. Yeah, keep keeping those conversations going. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, speaking of information, um, Claire, where would, so if for farmers and land managers listening, where would be good places, I guess, for them to go and get more information, do you think? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things you need to look at is looking at advice that looks at your whole farm business. So if I take out this little bit of land and do something, what difference does that make to my sheep enterprise or Mm -hmm. my dairy enterprise or whatever? And, you know, what is that if I reduce this a bit how does that affect the labour on my farm Mm -hmm. and the labour requirement and so on so it's looking at that whole picture and there is quite a lot of help out there there's a very good scheme at the moment called the Future Farm Resilience Fund um, which farmers can find out well, they'll, they'll see quite a lot of adverts around, but also, if in doubt, a good central point to go to is the Good Growth Hub, okay, which will hold all this information and point you in the right direction. But the Future Farm Resilience Fund holds a number of sort of workshops and then can give one-to-one advice oh, brilliant. Um, and just sort of start you on that sort of 
path to to look at your whole farm business because mm-hmm. there are so many changes at the minute in agriculture coming out of the EU and and so on, and I think you just need someone to just point you in the right direction of how can I change my business so that and and none of this is going to happen. None of this um, environmental stuff is going to happen if that farm business is bust. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at that sort of Absolutely. economic argument as well mm-hmm. and make sure you know you have a profitable business that can uh, do these other things with it. So I would say that would be a, a good point of call. And also, you know, there's a huge network of the, the auctioneers the, mm-hmm. who are land agents yes. who, who understand the whole process. And most farmers would have a connection with one or more of them um, and and look at the LMP website yeah. as, as well and and look there's you know the, the advice is that out there but the sort of central hub to hold it all if you can't find a contact or something is probably a good growth hub brilliant thank you and I know we touched upon it earlier and I cut you off a little bit um if you're an or you know if you're not a farmer or a land manager but um you're just a sort of an ordinary not that farmers are extraordinary necessarily. Weird If you're just a member of the general public, but you're, you've listened to this and you're really inspired and you want to do something more than just respond to the survey, I suppose, for nature recovery, what, where would you recommend that people look to get information? Yeah, so there's an incredible amount of local information out there within the sort of general ether with mm-hmm. four, four Cornwall and the Isles of Scilly. I mean, I think one of the best places really to start with is looking at your local Wildlife Trust mm-hmm. uh, websites. I know that Cornwall Wildlife Trust, for example, has huge amounts of information mm-hmm. on how to do nature-friendly gardening, mm-hmm. how to look after your hedgehogs and, and what you can actually do within your community. So I think that's a brilliant place to start. Mm-hmm. And lots of these organisations, Bud Life, the Wildlife Trust, mm-hmm. the RSPB, all have brilliant, brilliant resources online. Mm-hmm. So do a bit of research um, and also join some volunteer groups. Um, mm-hmm. Again, the Wildlife Trust have loads of volunteer groups all around the region. So yeah, that's that's where I'd get involved. There's some amazing citizen science stuff going on, isn't there, where people can actually go and, um, I can't remember, is it West Country Rivers Trust who are doing some yeah, um, like they're doing dipping their, and things, yeah. which sounds really good fun as well as being, you know, useful to do. Yeah. So. yeah lovely pundit that's yeah. it um so my final question uh, to you both and claire i'd like to come to you first if that's okay is what's your favorite section of cornwall a and b and why well that's very easy <laughs> for me because um north coast pentire because ah, I farm right next door to it. Oh, lovely. And it is absolutely beautiful. And it's been really interesting to see, um, you know, as I said, farmers like to look over the hedge and see what all their neighbours are doing. Well, my neighbour is the National Trust on Pentire. Wow. And it's been really interesting how they've, um, you know, what they've been doing and how they've been helping nature. And actually, luckily for us, they've some of the work they've done has increased their skylight population quite a lot and they've popped over the hedge so they're now in our farm as well which is great so that's a very easy question that's a really beautiful spot actually isn't it Mm. it it is yeah pretty jealous (laughs) (laughs) and Dougie how about you Oh, so I, I I love the South Coast in particular, mm-hmm. um, but there's there's this one 
one spot in particular between sort of Falmouth and Derry and where you're um, so so I run there quite often there's this one spot right at the top of a hill where you just go over the top and you sort of pop your head over a hedgerow and you see this beautiful beautiful view of just the whole Helford estuary oh, just sort yeah. of laid out in front of you and uh, oh. it's, it's not necessarily like my favourite area but that, that one particular spot is just it's just gorgeous mm. and if you get it on a nice sunny day it's it's most beautiful place in Cornwall I reckon oh, brilliant thank probably you probably the most beautiful place in the world because Cornwall is the well there we go yeah. The that's it yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you both of you so much for taking the time out to be on the podcast and talking so well about farming nature recovery the strategy uh, it's been absolutely brilliant thank you really Thanks. appreciate thank it thank you for having us thank, thank you, you. to this week's episode of the Cornwall AMB podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to Claire and Dougie. Um, I think from both perspectives, it's really interesting to hear about nature recovery, what farmers are doing, what they can be doing and, and where they might go for more information as well as non-farmers and, and what we might do and um, where we might feed back. I've included the link to the survey in the show notes and I will be sharing it across our social media as well. And I really encourage you all to um, complete the survey and, and offer your thoughts so that the best strategy for nature recovery can be ultimately created. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to speaking to you next time. For more area of outstanding natural beauty, 12 sections, one designation.